the general message whenever you Google how to spot misinformation, you're always told, check the source. However, I think what, what our research contributes to this discussion is, is saying also check your biases. So it's not enough anymore to just check is the source sort of real, a real source or is this a fake source? It's also important to check whether or not there are any biases you might have that make you more likely to sort of trust whatever information is presented by the source because all sources Uh, can make mistakes. We just heard from Cecil Steinbuch-Treberg, a PhD student at the University of Cambridge. I talked to her last week about her research, which we'll be looking at in this episode. What was the most surprising? I thought that looking at some outlets, and to be honest, some liberal outlets, such as the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, um, would insulate me from consuming misinformation. Um, but it turns out that it really doesn't work that way. Are you saying that nowhere is safe? No, I'm saying that we really have to be on our toes all the time and really think about what we're reading, what we're listening to, and what kind of media we're consuming. Hello, you're listening to The Inoculation where we explore the intersection of anti-vaccine beliefs, technology, and politics. Join me, Eva von Schaper, and my colleague, Daiva Repitschkaita, as we comb through research to find out what you can do and what our governments can do to stop the spread of disinformation. Welcome to our new listeners. I saw that a lot of Australians have been listening, so if you're from down under, just give us a holler. Yes, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you'd really help us if you could give us a great rating. Thank you. Okay, so back to Cecily. So she's a researcher, and that uh, sounds a bit dry, does it? Well, you know, you could see it that way, but after I had recorded the interview, um, and I saw the news of Colin Powell's death unfolding in Twitter, and I really realized how timely her research really is. Four-star general... Colin Powell has died of COVID-related complications. This news just breaking right now. Wait, so what is the connection? Well, this Monday, so at the beginning of this week, former U.S. Secretary of State Colin Powell passed away. And the first news alert that I saw on my Twitter feed was a New York Times news alert, and that was around 2 p.m. Here, I just pulled it up from Twitter, and it said, Colin Powell has died at 84 of COVID-19. He was fully vaccinated, his family said. Right, I remember that. So what does that have to do with disinformation? Well, most news outlets, those that I looked at, took the information that Colin Powell was fully vaccinated um, from a news release from the Powell family, which said exactly that, and uh, which I take to be true. But um, soon enough, anti-vax voices were using that fact to say the COVID vaccine doesn't work because Colin Powell, despite being fully vaccinated, uh, had died of COVID. So this was a form of misinformation, and unknowingly, it was being spread by major news outlets. Um, Then a bit later, and I think it was about two hours, the news broke that uh, Colin Powell also had multiple myeloma, which is a sort of cancer. And a lot of the news outlets changed their headlines to reflect that. So I think this is just um, a really good example that shows us 
how even major news outlets can publish and can distribute misinformation unknowingly. And um, they were all using journalistic standards. Ouch. Yeah, I see what you mean. But what does it have to do with this uh, Cambridge researcher? Well, I had a really uh, nice and long chat with uh, Cecile, so let's take a listen to what she told me, and then maybe we'll see how even liberal media and high-quality media can spread disinformation and how we are susceptible to believing that disinformation and maybe more susceptible than uh, people who are more on the conservative side of consuming news. Who would have thought? Uh, I, I certainly didn't. I thought that was really uh, it's highly, um, highly interesting. Let's hear that. So my name is Cecilia Treberg, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Cambridge. In terms of, of field, I would say that I'm in a couple of different fields. So one is experimental social psychology, which says most about the methods that I use and not necessarily the topic itself. So I use psychological experiments and statistical analyses. More specifically in the terms of, in terms of topic, I'm working in the field of persuasion and social influence, trying to understand why and how people are influenced by information, but also how well, what we can do to um, prevent it. Um, and then specifically applying this topic to the issue of fake news and misinformation. Okay. And is misinformation always been your topic? Because I think I looked at some of your papers and that's, you've worked on a couple of other subjects too. I knew I was interested in understanding why people act and think the way they do, um, which is psychology. But um, at the time, I was also interested in learning how these uh, insights can be applied in the commercial world. So marketing. Um, so I spent basically three years studying how people can be persuaded by and targeted by companies and messages and people. Um, and though, although I did several internships in market strategy and worked for market research firms, it just wasn't really clicking for me yet. I felt like I still had unanswered questions, particularly about how the biological aspect of human cognition plays into this, um, which is what led me to do a master's of science at UCL um, in social cognition, where the focus was a lot more on the neuroscience and biological understanding of how thoughts and attitudes develop and, and how this is processed in the brain. And following this, I worked for a year as a project leader um, in, at Copenhagen Business School on a big project where we partnered with the toy company Lego, which is like quite different. But at, at the same time, it was similar in the sense that we were working in the field of collective intelligence, which is specifically looking at how groups of people or employees making judgments together and decisions together could actually uh, outperform any single individual or expert. So, for example, if you ask 200 people to estimate the number of jelly beans in a jar, if you take the average of those 200 guesses, it'll likely be more accurate or closer to the real number than any single individual in the group. However, here uh, in this role or through this research, I also, um, of course, learned about the what makes groups of people um, less good at making judgments because others are there and because of social influence. Basically, because we look to see what other people are doing, this can affect us negatively as well. So I think all of these experiences led me to the question of, well, how good are we at making judgments when, one, we are surrounded by social information that indicates what other people believe? 
Um, but also we are surrounded by information that might tap into our individual biases, such as political biases, which would make us less good than we think at making accurate judgments uh, about information. So I, so I guess given that misinformation poses an increasing threat to society, it seemed like the, the logical place to apply my, my background and, and these questions. Looking at the study we're going to talk about today, um, is there a way to just sum it up in one sentence? This is really hard, but just saying, is there one sentence you can pull out that would, that would sum up your research? Sure. I guess in summary, we find that both liberals and conservatives might be more susceptible to believing misinformation from sources that are politically aligned with their views because they judge the sources to be more credible. Now, before, we already knew that content influences uh, our perceptions and, and likelihood of believing it, so whether the content is aligned with your political views, but we didn't know a lot about how the sources and the source slant might affect us. So if I see I see a piece of news that completely aligns with my beliefs, I'm more likely to to rate that as true without even thinking about this. I think it's important to say I don't reflect on this. This is an automatic judgment. When I see a piece of news, it reflects what I believe already. I will accept it without even thinking about the fact that I'm accepting it. In a way, and in a way, yes, in a way, no. So um, when you say you see a, a headline, I think you're referring mainly to the content of the headline. So whether or not, you know, the headline says something that might be liberally or conservatively slanted in some way. But we looked specifically at the source. So we tried to take non-political headlines to the extent that that's even possible but kind of stripping away any form of political slant. And if we just show people things that are just misleading, but not necessarily tied to any political views, then the source the source mattered. So if the source was, let's say, Fox News, then conservatives were more likely to believe it. And if it was uh, CNN, liberals were more likely to believe it. Um, and the other part of your, your question was related to whether we do do this automatically. I think there's arguments for for both sides. Um, in a way, if you say automatically, as in like without much reflection, I would say yes. So mm-hmm. people look at the source and then they sort of accept the headline because they've already judged the source to be credible. But then if you kind of consider the judgment of the source being credible as being, you know, a, an active judgment, then perhaps it's not so automatically just accepting the headline at face value. There's always there's a bit of, I think, a mismatch in public perception of what is disinformation, what is misinformation, propaganda, fake news. Yes, definitely. So I think a lot of current misinformation research often considers the level of fakeness or the attribution of fakeness to be at the level of the source, not the content. So basically suggesting that if the source is fake or if the source is um, yeah, made up, then everything they post is fake. And if the source is legitimate, like a mainstream media source, then everything they post must be true. However, uh, in the lab that, that I'm working in, the Cambridge Social Decision Making Lab, we take a little bit of a different approach in suggesting that 
misinformation or news does not need to be completely false to be misleading. Um, and in that way, we sort of define um, fake news as the overall, you know, umbrella term for misinformation, disinformation and propaganda. When, you know, a headline might be misleading or contain false information, but um, this could be as a result of human error, so not um, written with intent. And so another thing, because you were saying you were not only looking at the source, looking at the source would be saying, well, the New York Times, for example, is good and RT Russia is not so good. Mm -hmm. So that would be an easy decision, maybe, for somebody who's educated to make, say, well, RT Russia might not be a trustworthy news source. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to look at mainstream media such as CNN, New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Yeah. So we're moving away from that in your research, actually. Yeah. So we were more because um, a lot of previous research had sort of, you know, made the distinction between this is a really unreliable source. Let's see if people can detect that it's misinformation when we compare it to a much more mainstream source like New York Times. And largely, by and large, the research shows that, yes, people are actually pretty good at that. However, we were more interested in looking at mainstream media sources in general that might, you know, on some level have a political slant. So we wanted to see whether if we actually take those, you know, political slants and, and uh, but of mainstream sources that already have like a large following, whether that can prompt people to be more likely to believe misinformation. And looking at your study design, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Participants were placed uh, in groups where they saw misinformation from either liberally slanted uh, mainstream media sources or conservatively slanted mainstream media sources. Um, okay. Oh, sorry. Can I just jump in? So these okay. participants, where did you find them? Are these people who walked into your lab or? Yes. So um, in, in, the, in the larger pilot study, we basically... I don't know if you were familiar with the fake news game, but basically this is like a platform that teaches players about, educates players about misinformation strategies. So we ran one study via that online uh, portal. So basically anyone who kind of opted in to learn more about misinformation became part of this study. Um, so, so that was sort of our pilot study. So the flaws of that are, of course, that it includes a sample of people who already wanted to learn more about misinformation. So that's why we kind of use that as a as an indicator of whether or not sources might play a role. Um, as we could see that definitely the sources definitely did play a role here and that the political slant seemed to matter, we decided to uh, make a pre-registered study on uh, the site Prolific. Um, so basically it's uh, an online site, a bit like Amazon Mechanical Turk, where participants are online and are paid to do online studies. So not bringing them physically into the lab, but but online. And this thankfully allowed us to access a U.S.-based sample, which we were mainly interested in as it, it's uh, as the political slant of sources is a bit more clear in terms of um, audience. Like the audiences in the U.S. are a little bit more divided in terms of who they give their trust to. Mm -hmm. And and so this setup, I think, a, a, an important question is, of course, you're only going to capture people who have access to a computer, who use a computer. Mm -hmm. So people who will only watch TV or read the newspaper 
will not will not show up in the sample. Yeah, so this is an important point. Um, so obviously it's only people who have access to the Internet. Um, but I think that um, given that what we're mainly looking at is also Internet-based misinformation, this, this seems um, appropriate. Okay. And so what did you ask them to do? What did you ask the participants to do? So in, in the first study, participants were placed in one of three groups. So either they, they saw only misinformation from conservatively slanted sources, and all the true information they saw was from liberally slanted sources. In a second group, we reversed that, so all the misinformation they saw was from liberal sources, and all the true information they saw was from cons conservative sources. And then we had a third group in which we blurred out the source to just assess if people didn't see any information about the source, what would they think about the headline? And then we, we co compared um, whether whether or not the political slant of the source um, actually interacted with participants' own indication of their political ideology um, to make them more susceptible, and also compared this to uh, the control group in which there was no source presence. In the pre-registered study, we did it a little bit differently because we also wanted to see whether or not, you know, in the real news environment, you know, everything you'll see from conservatively slanted sources won't be fake, and it won't be so that everything you see from liberally slanted sources is fake. So here we we varied it, so it was uh, within subject design. So basically, even though we did not, uh, we used the same headlines as in study one, but in study two, we basically showed everyone misinformation from both liberally and conservatively slanted sources, and we could see whether or not, you know, Within the participant, was the individual participant more likely to believe misinformation if the source they saw was liberally slanted or conservatively slanted? Okay, just to give the listeners an idea of what kind of misinformation or what kind of factual information you were showing them, um, what are some of the headlines that you use? Because right now misinformation sounds like it must be something really divisive, but when yeah. I looked at the headlines, they're actually quite benign. I mean, it's actually really boring stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so this is the I guess the case when um when you talk about non political misinformation because the majority of misinformation is likely to have some form of, you know, political leaning. And there's definitely also a spectrum of misinformation from, you know, very absurdly untrue um to questionable and things that are really hard to like to tell. Um so I guess we were aiming for something a little bit in the middle, because when you, when in previous studies that have shown people, you know, very more obviously fake headlines, it's been hard to detect any differences in people because everyone thinks this is untrue. We uh, chose headlines that had been identified as false through an online um, fact-checking platform. In terms of factual information, we based factual information on you know, more current news topics that um, were could be number one confirmed by multiple media outlets. So some of some of your uh, factual headlines were Angela Merkel to step down as German Chancellor. Okay. Yeah, there's no doubt that that's going to happen. Um, physical fitness keeps your brain in good shape. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, and some of the uh, misinformation headlines were. Um, 
expert scientific studies no longer trustworthy. I, I guess it's emotional to some extent, but um, the specific strategy yes. we were going for there was discrediting. Okay. So you know, discrediting the field of science by appealing to this expert um, uh, bias where, you know, if people hear, oh, this is something an expert saying, it must be true. But they're essentially discrediting the whole field of science, saying we can no longer trust science, only trust me. <laughs> okay. And I think just to see if I'm getting this right, the misinformation headlines were not taken from the outlet that they were then actually attributed to. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. So the headlines were, were from completely, uh, completely different sources than the ones that they were later attributed to. How did the study move on? What happened then? The um, participants saw the headlines and... Um, yes. So the participants saw all the headlines and um, they went through the study having to uh, indicate how reliable on a scale from one to, se one to seven they found the headline to be. Um, in the first study, they, asked, they were asked about reliability and the second study accuracy, but we didn't really find any differences there. Um, they were also asked uh, to indicate how likely they would be to share the headline um, on their on their social media. Um, uh, as as an important factor, we were interested in looking at was source credibility, as in whether or not these effects were driven by the fact that people found politically similar sources to be more credible. We also had participants rate uh, the credibility of each of the sources they were exposed to from one to seven. And we, of course, also asked people about their um, political ideology on a scale from one to seven, how conservative or liberal they considered themselves to be. We also asked them about their current use of Twitter, because obviously the headlines are presented in a Twitter format. We wanted to see if there's any difference in people who never use Twitter. Would, this, would there be no effect of the source if they've never used Twitter? In terms of Twitter use, we didn't really find any effects there. It didn't really seem to matter whether people spend a lot of time on Twitter or not. The source had an equally strong effect. Okay, and, and what did you find out? What were the results? So the results were that um, both liberals and conservatives judge misinformation headlines to be more credible and more reliable when the source aligns with their political views. We also found that this effect was driven by source credibility. So um, it wasn't just that, you know, the source was politically slanted in the way that they liked. It was that the fact that the source was politically slanted in the participants' direction made the participants judge, uh, judge the source to be more credible. And this credibility judgment sort of um, spilled over into their judgment of the headline, making them judge the headline to be more reliable. I think another interesting thing that we found that previous research hadn't necessarily found was that we found an asymmetry between liberals and conservatives in that liberals, we saw a stronger effect of the source on liberals than conservatives. Okay. So basically, liberals were relying a lot more on the slant and credibility of the source to make these judgments. So this made them more sort of susceptible to misinformation from liberally slanted sources. Okay. Um, and it also made them discount, discount factual information from conservative uh, sources much more than conservatives would discount factual information from liberal sources. Okay, that's interesting because that kind of goes against what people 
think. They would say, yeah. well, here's Fox News, very bad. Yeah, so in a way it goes against and still aligns with previous mm-hmm. research. So in terms of previous research, um, most research has tended to show that conservatives on the whole are more susceptible to misinformation and also that conservative sources on the whole publish more misinformation. And and finally, that there exist more fake conservative misinformation sources. Uh, liberal sources in general publish less misinformation. And so the cue, uh, the, the cue you get from judging whether or not, you know, a source is, is credible, if it's liberal, is a little bit more accurate than if you rely on the conservative source. Okay. So you could say that in the real world, um, in which liberal sources don't actually publish as much misinformation as conservative sources, this doesn't really make um, liberals more more susceptible. Okay, and I think it's also important here to say that misinformation can be something that's published completely by accident or because somebody like journalists like me are bombarded with a lot of information. In in relation to that, I think I have quite a a good example of this in in the in the COVID crisis scenario. So, for example, in Denmark, the the mainstream media source is kind of a source that's, I guess, by the general public considered to not have a very strong political slant. DR, like the... Ah, okay. um, so basically, around a year ago, they came out with a bunch of headlines, both uh, on the news, like live broadcast, but also um, on news websites that um, face masks don't work. That was kind of like the overall headline. Face masks don't work. And they had, you know, um, people come into the, to the news studio to interview experts like, why are we having to wear face masks? This study just found they don't work. And I think so. So this was, uh, in my opinion, a case of misinformation in the sense that it was misleading based on kind of human error in the sense that the original journalist who had interpreted this one small scientific study that came out had sort of misinterpreted the findings, was then picked up by every news outlet, including the main one, and kind of taken to the extreme. This must mean that face masks don't work. And I feel like that's a good example of misinformation that sort of occurred by accident with no you know, intent to, to deceive the general public in any way. And in a way, just as a misunderstanding of a very maybe cryptically worded scientific article um, that kind of then went viral. I think that's interesting. So if we if there's something you can take away from your study for somebody like obviously for journalists, it's to be extremely careful. But for somebody who's reading the newspaper, somebody who's, you know, on Twitter, is there a message that they can take away? One thing is that we already knew that it's important to check your sources. So I think that that's kind of what the general message, whenever you Google how to spot misinformation, you're always told, check the source. However, I think what, what our research contributes to this discussion is, is saying also check your biases. So it's not enough anymore to just check is the source sort of real, a real source or is this a fake source? It's also important to check whether or not there are any biases you might have that make you more likely to sort of trust whatever information is presented by the source because all sources can make mistakes 
and all sources might have some sort of political slant. Shall we go and watch Fox News now? No, I think what's really important to stress is that um, in this study, the media that were rated to be more conservative, so more on the uh, right side of politics, spread more disinformation. So while liberals are more likely to to believe their sources, it is because they do spread less disinformation, less misinformation, But still, it means we need to be careful about what we consume. I just wanted to remind everybody that all the links and all the tweets and everything we just talked about, that's going to be in the show notes. And we'll also add a transcript of the show to our website, www.theinoculation.com, if you prefer to read about uh, the show. If you want to hear more stories about vaccine hesitancy, you can look up The Inoculation wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And also don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter, Inoculated, and you'll find that link in the show notes as well. You can follow us on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. Our reporting is supported by IJ4EU and Alfred Topfer Stiftung. Bye for now.